welcome to season number one, episode number 10 of Splash Considerations, a San Francisco Giants podcast. My name is Justice Del Santos, joined once again by Josh Ewan, the big man, editor-in-chief of the Daily Californian, oh, I can't even speak English, Joey Patton. Hey, what's up? Emily Oman, Rory O'Toole is going to be sitting out this one. He's got a little uh, DNP coach's decision or uh, load management, as as the young kids like to say these days. But today we're going to be doing something a little different, just like we did on the last episode. We're not going to be doing another iteration of Watch the Film this week. Thought it might be fun to take a step back. You know, let you know we've been doing a lot of cooking. We've been doing a lot of baking. There's a lot of heat going around in the kitchen. A lot of little hot stove action. So I thought it might be a little appropriate to get some get some hot takes. The weather's heating up. Everyone's capacity to stay inside is dwindling down. There's a lot of personal angst going on. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> hot takes. So we go, everyone's going to come with a couple little hot takes. In lieu of actual baseball season, let's have some actual baseball conversation. That's not in the past. Because, you know, Donald Trump doesn't want to be looking at 14-year-old baseball games. <laughs> he wants games now. And we want them now. But we also want personal safety. I don't know where I'm going with this. So we've all got a, we've all got a couple of takes. Some of them going to be varying degrees of heat. We're going to go around the room. Josh has got to, you know, Mr. Big Time over here. He's got well, a meeting one. It's currently 12.18 Pacific Standard Time. Because, you know, we're not going by Mountain West Standard Time. I don't even know if that's Midwestern. Midwestern time. time. So we're going to go around. We're going to come up with a couple hot takes. We're going to examine them. We're going to come up with a couple half-baked ideas, too. You know, shout out to Ben and Jerry. I think they're from the Bay. I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> half-baked is the goat flavor. If you say Cherry Garcia, you are objectively wrong. But, yeah, let's get into it. So, Josh, what Uh-oh. hot takes What hot takes do we got on the docket? All right. Well, first of all, I'm just going to add um, – Daily count Ed Borch was at one, but Berkeley time's a thing, so I actually have an additional eight and a half minutes. So we, 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 we bought ourselves an extra take and a half, I'd say. Um, boy, I, do you want to start off with half bake or like full on, just like give it to you? Nah, give me the, the full take. We don't, you know, right. the only time that's acceptable to like raise the heat is when you're making a grilled cheese. We're right. boiling the water right now. <laughs> I need the heat. All right, all right, all right. Fair enough. So, so starting off relatively hot, okay. Did a little bit of research, wish I had done more, wish I had more time, um, but was looking at MVP for both leagues, Uh-oh. given that the season will probably be 81 games, maybe less, maybe more. I don't know. It's not going to be 162. We know that. Um, the AL MVP, it's not that hot of a take. Mine is Glaber Torres. Um, well, so now that is, wait, 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 wait. You can't just slide by. That is a hot take. Okay. Hot take for Glaber Torres, right? Okay. First What's of all, the my case? My second hot take is going to be a bunch of – it also has to do with a 23-year-old, all right? Glaber Torres, 278, 90 RBIs, 152 hits. Um, took, on, took on a full season with the Yankees, and he is the next New York Yankees star with all due respect to Aaron Judge, okay? Glaber Torres is, you know, a versatile infielder with – on the best team in the American League. Like, let's just let, – let's be real. Um, if the season goes more than 100 – more than 81 games, it's got to be Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series. Um, He's only been in the big leagues for two years, but this is a guy who, and I'll, I'll, I'll I preface this by saying I have another 23 year old in my next hot take. Um, I'll let some other folks go, but um, second baseman, 23 year olds. I'm high on them this year. Glaber Torres, my AL MVP. 
that's like the semi-hot one. The hot one is my NL MVP was born on January 2nd, 1999. Oh, no. I know who you're going to pick. I think. You said NL MVP? NL MVP, 317 average, 357 on base. I think I know who you're going to pick. Kent is he only played 84 games last year. He's only played 84 games in his career, but he's going to win National League MVP next season. Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> Actually, okay, oh, I, I mess with this take. I'm, I'm high on Fernando. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you said He's second baseman because I know you're, you're personally higher on Ozzy Albies than Ronald Acuna. Okay, Albie, okay Albies, is, Albies is my number two hot take. Anyways, but my, my hot takes for the MVPs, Glaber Torres and Fernando Tatis Jr., and here's why. Okay. These are such you hot you, you extrapolate the full season with Tatis Jr., Okay, you're looking at 44 homers, 106 RBIs, and you're looking at a guy who has the potential as a 21-year-old to have a 40 homer, you know, 100 RBI, 30 stolen base season. Now, the season's shortened, and that gives them a better opportunity. With the lineup that the Padres have with Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, that's, this is a team that's going to get slept on offensively. Now, pitching, you know, that's where they're going to lag. That's where they're going to fall behind the likes of the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers in the NL West. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is a generational player. We talk about these guys like Vlad Guerrero, Vlad, uh, um, Vladdy, Vladdy Jr., uh, Ronald Acuna. I think Fernando Tatis Jr., having played in, in San Diego, gets a little bit overlooked. But the hype was real last year. Um, and it's unfortunate that a season got cut short. But I think that the shortened season benefits Tatis Jr. over the likes of guys like Cody Bellinger. So starting relatively hot, I'll let you guys go. But that's where, that's where I'm at right now. This is such a hot take. We got to like break this down. So let's see, like it, among the American league, we're going like in, in terms of people who he's going to have to compete with, obviously we have Mike Trout at the very top. Mike, Mike Trout, Alex Bradman. Anthony Marcus Rendon Sanders just makes his transition to the year. American league. I don't, I don't know about that. Cause that's the thing. Like Torres has the benefit of playing in Yankee stadium, which is kind of a sandbox. So if he's gonna have if he's gonna win MVP, I think his numbers are gonna have to be like so over the top that you ha- like. I think he has to like get in like the. Well, I mean, he's not gonna do it in like an eighty-one game season, but like on pace for like more than forty homers to at least get into consideration for that. Plus, his defense is kind of well, suspect it, too. Well, and here's my take on this: Luis Severino is gonna be out, right? Yankees Yankees gonna have to be the best team with their lineup, leaning on their lineup and their bullpen. And Glaber Torres is the best hitter in that, in that lineup to me. That's why he's my MVP. My question to you, Josh, is what did Aaron Judge do to you? What did Aaron Judge do to you to be snubbed this no hard? Reason. There's honestly no reason for me to dislike him, but that's why this is a hot take. This man, Josh, is coming off the top rope immediately. Joey, Emily, how are we feeling about these takes? Because these are some, some bold proclamations that Mr. – because Joey, you got a you got a pair of dudes in the NL West that have some MVPs right. already. So how yep. we how we feeling about this? Yeah, no, that's a hot take, dude. I mean, if we're talking about the National League, like Tatis is a great player, and I think he's one of the biggest up and comers in the league. I wouldn't take Tatis over Bellinger, over Yelich, over Arenado. I feel like there is a good handful of dudes. Uh, and Tatis, yeah, you're like you said, he played 84 games. We haven't really seen the best of him yet. I don't even think he's, like, the best player on that team, bro. Like, I think Manny Machado is the most elite defensive player in the league, arguably, and he is a superstar. That, like, I think that's a hot take for sure, man. I'm going to say I disagree with that. I second that. Hey, you got Boogie Betts, too, now. 
Dude, if the season happens, man. <laughs> <laughs> if the season happens, man, you could lose them if the season's not played. Mm-hmm. God, this is, this is such a I hot feel, take, Josh. I feel extremely insecure because of your take. Because I was also <laughs> born in 1999. And what have I done with my life? Not that. Disgrace not the state coffee. of Utah. Uh, I take it back. Yeah. On BYU. Well, Emily, Emily's oh going to win an LMVP. Thank you. Finally, the recognition I deserve. Thank you. That's the thing about, like, Fernando Tatis would also have to, like, leapfrog, like, every other young player, too. Like, not even just, like, the proven all-stars, but Acuna, Juan Soto, who I have the same birthday with. So, if we're talking about, like, people that were born the same year, like, we got to do that arguably. I personally thought should have been World Series MVP. Out here hitting like 500 foot homers off Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, so you have him just straight up leapfrogging every single young well, player. I think, I think the thing too is it's a it's a very narrative driven award. Definitely. Well, and I think I think one of the things I also kept in mind was like, are the Padres going to compete? I think the biggest argument that you can think of is the Ryan Braun, Matt Kemp argument in 2011. Yeah. Um, that's my biggest thing with the Padres, but I think a shortened season gives these folks like the A's and the Padres and the Rays the be- a better chance of making it not just into the postseason, but a deeper run. This, this man, this man, Josh, is never a shortage. Of, I wish y'all could have heard like some of the things I told that Josh. You I'm coming in hot. I wish y'all could have heard some of the things that Josh has told me over the years. This, this man is in no shortage. Emily, hot take number one. Oh. What are we feeling? Okay. Well, I'd like to preface this by saying two things. First, that all my takes are going to be pretty anti-boomer. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> well, because I am like the epitome of anti-boomer right now, especially on this podcast, like as a background, I did not even like start watching baseball until like 2014 or 15. So I have, you know, I have a very <laughs> so you weren't in, you weren't indoctrinated into like old right. school baseball like mentalities. Right. Yeah, but I have also come to love and appreciate it now, you know, like retroactively. So, but I'm just my takes are gonna come across as as anti boomer. Oh, second no. of all, I am wearing my Cubs shirt right now because my takes are like borderline hedonistic to the Cubs association like sacrilegious and so I just I don't want to like you know curse the Cubs for another 108 years trying to show the Cubs baseball gods that I am a believer and that I respect them and their judgment and these hot takes are purely for you justice and your podcast <laughs> okay <laughs> and everyone and probably, that's gonna hear them <laughs> yes but probably if they came true I would be sad so, so this is anti-boomer Yes. <laughs> With respect to the Cubs, if that's if that's what I'm hearing. Yes, but also very disrespectful. And they also Emily, both play into each other. Emily, um, I also want to add, you should start your own podcast called Hey, Emily, What Do You Say? Aw, that's hey. a good idea. <laughs> okay, I'm going to run with that. All right, Emily, what's this take? Okay, I think, and this actually isn't, you're going to call all my takes quote flower takes if they were spicy <laughs> anyway uh i think that the cubs should trade chris bryant Ooh, so. that's a little spice i feel that well that well hmm because the thing is if you my rationale is if you trade chris bryant then i feel like you're basically saying the window 
has closed, I think. Well, I don't think so. I just think that after watching them for so many short years, I guess, I just have, like, the pitching is such a problem. And I think that Chris Bryant is such a, like, prized player that you could trade him and get a good pitcher from somewhere. I mean, like, the possibilities here are, like, pretty endless in terms of trades. Like, you could train with the Braves, get, like, Fulte, Sean Newcomb, Max Freed, you know, uh, Soroka, like any one of those guys. Um, and like the Hamels trade kind of opened the teams up to each other a little bit, I think. I mean, there's also like the Phillies because Bryce Harper and, and Chris Bryan played together in high school before. And so, you know, everyone's like, oh, that'd be a cute narrative a little bit. But I mean, like you also have, you have David Bodie, who is essentially the, like in 2019, he was the 2018 version of Chris Bryan. Like, I have a couple stats up here. So in 2019, Bodie hit 11 home runs, 78 had 78 hits and had 47 runs. And in 2018, Bryant had 13 home runs, 106 hits, and 59 runs, which are, like, decently similar. So have Bodie play third, trade Bryant for a pitcher, fix your goddamn bullpen. <laughs> Boom. That's my first hot take. So I think the Cubs are going to have to, you know, with all the money they're going to have to dish out, especially because of the the Hayward and Darvish contracts, I feel like at some point they're going to have to pick between Baez and Bryant. So you would rather stick with Baez. Yeah, this is hands a, down. This is a little spice. This is some spice. Hands down. This is, some spi- this is not a this is not a flower level. T- when we say flower, <laughs> I mean like. The joke here is, like, there's an episode of, like, Bob's Burgers where, like, one of the characters of, like, if you were a spice, you would be flour. This is not a flour-level take. There's a little little cayenne, little little red pepper flake. Thank you. But, I'm, I yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that, well, I'm obviously a little bit biased because Javi Baez is my favorite player of all time. But I just think he has, like, he's got the defense. He's got the, you know, the at-bat power. He's magical to watch. And he's I got love the suave. Him. He's got the swagger. He's got Joey the and James. Joey and Josh, how we feeling? I, I like I this one. I, I, I was gonna say, I, I, it's a very mature pick. It's a tough one to acknowledge. Chris Bryant, twenty sixteen versus twenty twenty. You know, it's he's not out of his prime by any means. I'd say, but the numbers aren't what they used to be. Um, yeah, I, I like this take. Yeah, no, I have to, it's actually a really good take. Um, my buddy, crazy, you said that because coincidentally, my buddies and I. We had our own little Zoom thing last night. We were talking about who's the next MLB guy who's going to be, like, wanting a contract. And it is Chris Bryant. I think he's heading into his fifth or sixth year, right? And he's going to want to get paid, dude. And, like, he's – like, we've seen his ceiling. And, like, he was playing at an MVP level before. But I feel like he hasn't shown that recently. But you are right in that he has that trade value to where you could land some sick prospects or even some guys you could plug into your rotation right now for Chris Bryant. I think that's a fantastic idea. And, yeah, he's – I'd rather have Javi than Chris Bryant, too. I feel Thank so you. validated. So validated. Anthony Rizzo, I, I love Rizzo. He's I not going to be like cheap in the typical sense that we associate with baseball players, but he's in the second year. Of, so this is his second year of arbitration right now, the 2020 season. And then he has one more arbitration eligible season. So you can, if you were to, tr- like if the Cubs were hypothetically to trade him this off season, they would get like a, like, 
I think that's a bargaining chip in and of itself because you're not paying for post like you're not paying for like free agent Chris Bryant. You're paying for like pre free agent, which is like like he's gonna make upwards of like two hundred, potentially even three hundred million, but you're gonna get him for like what, fifty million over these next two years, which is a steal for what he provides. I do uh, I don't know. Mm-mm. My thing is, I feel like if you're the Cubs, I feel like you got to give it, like, one more run. Well, I think you can't do that without a good pitcher, good pitching in general. I don't think it's throwing down the gauntlet yet. Yeah, Justice, this reminds me, guys, this reminds me of a little bit of Evan Longoria in Tampa Bay, to be honest. Like, I don't know. I feel like Bryant's 28 years old. I'm looking at it a little bit. Um, The value at some point is going to diminish. So if Emily's arguing, Emily's arguing, obviously you go in for pitching, um, trying to think of like a counter move to like, like, like uh, compare this to, um, but in terms of being able to, to, to dump him in, in when he's 30, 30, 32, is it that different when he's 28? Maybe a little bit, but um, I, I definitely see the value in dealing him whenever the deadline is this year, um, probably wouldn't wait till the off season. Well, that's the thing right now. There's like a, a transaction freeze. So right. even if the Cubs wanted to trade him right now, that wouldn't be a possibility. I also do wonder about his current relationship with the front office because there was that whole fiasco back in, I think, 2015, where they waited until the last – like they waited until he would like basically be eligible for 2022 free agency instead of 2021, the whole service time manipulation thing. And right, I know that right. didn't really go over well. And you also see kind of the way that – well, it's not, it's kind of apples to oranges, but like the way that Arnado is not happy with the current front office, it's not the same situation, but there are some similarities in that you have like two superstar third basemen that just aren't unhappy with their current situation or that are unhappy with their current situation. Right. I think I remember hearing something this past off season where it felt like that relationship was a little like on some shaky foundation. So I don't know, maybe because we've seen like we've seen a couple times where you know some sometimes it just takes a change of scenery and then something just clicks. Like yeah. Josh Donaldson, like he right. kind of had like a, a after the MVP season in Toronto. There's a couple injuries that ravaged him. Had like a decent comeback in Cleveland. Goes to Atlanta and has one of his most productive seasons in quite a bit. I do think my only resignation is I think. Bryant's game ages a little better than Baez. Now, I I kind of wanted to like side with Baez on that, just because like Baez is more athletic than Bryant. But if you look at just Baez from like I, I look a lot at like strikeout rates, and you have Baez like striking out like twenty five six like and higher percent of the time. Well, like Bryant's not exactly a model for like not striking out, but at least the walk rate is up. While Baez is like of like the epitome of like a free swinger. So that's why I kind of think the game will translate a little more because there's like a like the found like the floor of just natural like hitting ability is a little higher. And I, I mean, think if, yeah. you, if you are a third baseman, do you have to like have a certain degree of athleticism? But I see like the side of it where Baez, he's like he can play third, he can play second, he can play short, and like even if Baez like doesn't age as gracefully, like those are the type of dudes that you're gonna need on championship level teams because who did who hit the game winning RBI for the Cubs in 2016 Ben Zobrist who played multiple positions and can give you versatility and also Baez 
hit, had an exit velocity of 89 miles an hour while hitting left-handed. I don't care if it was a position <laughs> player. That's like, <laughs> that's, some, that's pure athleticism. You can't, like, that does not grow on trees. Well, and I think what you're trying to say is bias, bias it's fair to say, is a higher ceiling and a higher reward. But like, higher, higher risk, higher reward. And, and I think when you're, going, when you're gunning for a championship window with the score that you currently have, you're willing to take that over a more steadily aging Chris Bryant. Because Baez was, I, I think the year that Yelich won his first MVP, well, he only has one MVP, but the year that he won the MVP, I think Baez was either the runner-up or in the top three. Something of that nature. Plus also the tags, sick tags. I know, yeah. This isn't even a hot take, but Javier Baez, the most Instagram-friendly baseball player in the league right now, arguably. Him and, like, Fernando Tatis got the That's little true. swagger. That's yeah. what we need. Hey, that, that actually, I'm, I'm going to tease that, though. That, that kind of has to do with one of my takes a little in terms of Instagram. Bro, why, why is Blake Snell getting so much attention on Instagram these days? Blake Snell? Yeah. Well, well there was the, for one, there was, like, the MLB, the, like, the show tournament that happened. Right, right. But then there was also, like, when Tommy Pham got traded, he, was, he said that, like, he got traded for some slapdick prospects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that was hilarious. We need, like, this is, this is, this is all going to relate to one of my takes. I think I'll say it, like, after, oh. after we get to Joey. But, Joey, how we, what are we feeling? All right. I feel like Hot take number one. On. Yeah, the heat's off, so I'm going to start with a little, keep it a little more low-key. A lot of, all offseason long, you heard a lot about the Dodgers going after Francisco Lindor and possibly Mike Clevenger to shore up the rotation. And it didn't happen because Andrew Friedman drew a line in the sand and he said, I'm not giving you Gavin Lux, and the Indians wanted Gavin Lux. I would have, in a heartbeat, and I still would, flip Gavin Lux to the Indians for Francisco Lindor like that. No second thought about it. Francisco Lindor is the best shortstop. I think if you want to go defensively at Simmons, offensively, it's up for debate. But if we're talking holistically in every aspect of their play, Francisco Lindor is the best, most electrifying shortstop in the league. And Gavin Lux is a, a prospect. And I understand he's like the number two prospect and everyone's so high on him. But I feel like you have to take the guaranteed hit over the possibility of a player who could be great. And he still has two years left on his deal. So the Dodgers could potentially lock him down if they wanted to. I didn't even so know they, these were conversations you about, we had. You want to talk about Instagram-friendly guys? Francisco Lindor's up there. That's right. I wonder, stuff, I wonder what it would take for the the Dodgers to pry away Lindor. Because I feel like you'd have to throw Dustin May in there, too. At, like at yeah, the so they wanted May and Lux. That's what I was thinking, too. But then we would have gotten Clevenger in that deal, too. So I'm talking okay. just straight up. I do Lux for Lindor. I have a I have a counter argument to this though. I have a a counter take cuz I think because of the injuries just because like I think people have forgotten how good Corey Seager was in like his first or second Ooh. season. Mm-hmm. I think people people have been sleeping on the boy. So I think I think it's worth giving that a shot seeing like cuz obviously with the Dodgers you're not going to be able to pay everybody because if you if you want to keep if if you're going to have a choice of who to keep between Bellinger, Betts, Seager, did they lock down Turner? I think they did. Yeah, but that was in 2015. Wait, question, is Max Muncy playing first base or second base? He's going to play first, and Lux would play second. But Lux might not even yeah. even get on track to make the opening day lineup, so it's like, what kind of telling right. 
But I can see the Dodgers not wanting to rush him just because there's because on one end that would start the service clock, service time clock, but then on the other, it's I think what major league teams are learning is that it it's not as worth it to rush your prospects unless there's like unless they like force your hand. Like Juan Soto was like someone that forced the Nationals' hand. It was also like a product of circumstance because I think Michael Taylor got injured. Juan Soto was he had like he was hitting like ridiculous like up and like at every level that he was at and it was like okay like let's see because he's just hitting like so well like no matter what's thrown at him so I could see well I mean in a situation I would imagine at least in like a full season I would imagine like by the time like June rolls around like let's just say like this was a regular season I feel like by the time June rolls around Gavin Lux would kind of be a regular assuming he doesn't hit like 100 because <laughs> you like i think with the like with the roster that they do have like you could hit him relatively low he doesn't have to be in a position where there's like a lot of pressure on him to produce per se i don't know yeah. I'm, i don't know I, I would i would roll the dice you already got mookie arguably the best outfield in the bigs I would roll the dice with let, – let's see, like, how Seager comes back. Let's see what Gavin Lux looks like. And then Dustin May, too. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you could argue both sides of that. Just because the Dodgers have so much so much depth, especially on the infield. Like, in terms of in terms of the argument that Joey's making for Lindor, like, the fact that, like, Gavin Lux is, is there, but, the fact that you, like, passing over Francisco Lindor, like, if you even if, like, you lose whoever in free agency, like, you have so many – like, you have so many reinforcements that, like, you know, maybe Gavin Lux isn't, like – no, it's just not the right situation for him. On the other hand, you could say, you know, the Dodgers want to keep Gavin Lux, and, and they're not worried about their – their like, I feel like their infield is such, like, is not the issue with this team. I think it's more of just execution in the postseason when it comes to the bullpen and pitching. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I would side with MVP. Joey, though. I just want to say that. I side with you, Joey. I think this is the smart thing to do. When you're chasing a World Series title, like, just go all out. And it's been so many years. So many years, like mm-hmm. oh, no offense, but like you know, hey, let's keep at it some way. point. <laughs> I mean, like at Thank some point, much. I think you got to do like what you got to do. Go bigger, go home. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm with you, Joey. Thank you very much. And there is win now mode. Like, what? Who cares if you go all in on some players and try to build a team to win in the present, and then you bust, and then okay, we rebuild for two years or whatever. Like, you'll recover from it. It's I'd rather go in on the risk. But on the note of the infield that you were saying, Josh, and Lux like not being the right situation for him. This could be a hot take in and of itself, but I also kind of feel like a second baseman, like that's a pretty dispensable position. Like we only see a handful of elite second basemen like Chase Utley, Robinson Cano. And I feel like a lot of guys just burst onto the scene like Scooter Jeanette two years ago. And where's Scooter Jeanette? Now we're not talking about him anymore. Like I feel like you can get a dude in there like Kike Hernandez pulling his weight and like I don't know, is the second baseman that valuable? I see that argument. I definitely yeah, see that's, that. That's interesting for sure. Hmm. I'm I have to I'm gonna have to think about this though. I, I personally I like the Dodgers as currently constructed. I think that if anything they needed like a little pitching. I wasn't interested to see like what Urias and May could have provided, as well as like maybe Alex Wood is like that fifth guy and just like kinda roll the dice with that. But I think the biggest thing, like to the point of the Dodgers like really of like going all in. I think that's that's been the biggest thing that's really handicapped the Dodgers over the past couple of years. They've had all this draft capital. They've had all these prospects. But 
they've kind of hung on to them and be like, we're going to continue just for like the future when it's like your future is now. And I think like one like, I think for like before everything kind of hit the fan with um, Felipe Vasquez, that was a guy that I thought they should like, obviously we know that situation is not tenable for, we don't talk about that. <laughs> we're going to pretend we're just going to push that away. But like, that's an example of like a, the caliber of guy that you like at the deadline, it's like, we have these prospects. We have like a lot of them. Let's just go for it. And so like, I kind of, I see that side of the argument. It's like, like, let's just not build a death star. Let's build two of them. Let's build like enough power for two death stars to eat the other death star. That's in New York with the, the bombers. But yeah, I see both sides of the argument. I think that would be, that would be a ridiculous team. And it's hard to like draw comparisons between baseball and basketball just because the sports are so different. But I mean, like, Lindor, Betts, Bellinger, Muncie, then throwing Kershaw, Urias, May into the mix. That's, like, that's delicious. I don't, I don't know. I don't have any other adjective for that. That's, like, that's must-see baseball every day. Every day. So, all right, my take I think I'm I'm related to what we were talking about earlier. And over the past couple of years, well, not even over the past couple of years, like basically over the last decade or two decades now, we've seen that, you know, Major League Baseball's ratings are down, attendance is like iffy. We've heard all this talk about like the game isn't growing, the next generation of fans isn't going to be there. We've heard this, that, and the third, how like the game isn't as popular as it was. It's probably the third most popular sport of in like in the Americas. If you want to throw in like soccer in the mix, like not MLS, but like Champions League, if you want to throw that in the mix, you can argue baseball is like lower down the rung. So we've heard all this about like baseball isn't popular, this, that, and the third. And Major League Baseball, it's like they're scrambling for it's like, what do we do? It's like Major League Baseball isn't as popular. My hot take is that this is, this is self-inflicted. This is a self-inflicted wound. This has nothing to do with the game. This has everything to do with Major League Baseball Incorporated. I don't even know if that's what it's called. Because Major League Baseball, I'm, I'm sounding like Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman right now. Major League Baseball has fundamentally messed up in so many different arenas when it comes to marketing your, marketing your game. MLB.tv still has blackouts. So if I'm, in, if I'm in Hercules, I can't watch the Giants game because the game's blacked out. What the hell is up with that? Why would I buy something if I can't watch the team that's in my area? It's probably the same thing with the A's. You do no marketing with your players. If you ask someone who's the most pop, if you ask some casual fan who's the most popular player in baseball, they're probably going to say Derek Jeter. Why? Because everybody knew Jeter. Everybody knew Jeets. He was the guy because they marked one thing was it was him in New York that was part of it, but that's a testament to like how little you have marketed the game. You might say Bryce Harper, he's not even a top fifteen player. Let's just be real. So where's so you're not marketing player? You're marketing Mike Trout based on his unmarketability, which is is cute. It's cute. I'll give you that. You're trying, but let's talk about swag. Let's talk about cleats. How come in the NBA you can wear whatever cleats you want? You can be coming up with some neon green cleats if you want, some highlighter yellows, 
any color combination you want, but when it comes to Major League Baseball, and this is the thing, everybody loves, it's, it's got to be the shoes. Spike Lee said it best, it's got to be the shoes. Why are you making us wear these, like, these boring cleats? Let them have the creativity. And here's the thing, too. Here's, like, the kicker. Why are we doing this? Why is Major League Baseball doing the exact same thing in terms of media promotion that they've done the past couple of years? Why is there no innovation? Why have they not tried to mic players up and then have that thing on going on MLB's YouTube page? Why, why not try something where it's like you throw like a GoPro on the umpire? Why not try all these different things? We've done the same, like Major League Baseball has, has not innovated to a significant level. They've clung to go to Emily's thing about like the boomer game. They're clinging to this memory of the past and hoping that the amount of fans that you draw in that older generation can compensate for the lack of new generation. Oh, and here's what I forgot. The old, like the, the old rules of the game, like baseball's unwritten rules. As much as I love the game, as much as I've been indoctrinated into the rules of the game. No, I want bat flips. I want disrespect. I want the swagger. If someone hits a 500-foot home run, they can carry the bat like it's a broomstick and they're on Harry Potter for all I care. That's, that's how you're going to get the highlights. Major League Baseball is, is operating back. They're hustling backwards. They have, they're handicapping their product. And they can't just point to the players on the – and here's the thing, too. Major League Baseball players have been indoctrinated to have these bland answers. What's the most memorable post-game response you've heard from a player in recent history? That's a clown question, bro, by Bryce Harper. That was like seven years ago. What is the, like, think back to every, like, post-game interview. When was the last time someone had, like, a front-page worthy post-game quote that everybody Aaron Boone. They're savages in the box. Uh, yeah. Aaron Boone for sure. But uh, your point is true. And I was just, I was like, Justice, hey, man, tell, tell us how you really feel. No, but that's my take. I, uh, I, uh, I, I, that's feel my I take. The biggest thing is like, I feel like in LA, Cody Bellinger and Clayton Kershaw are, are hailed as, as heroes. They're in LA. Mike Trout has the benefit of like, he's, he's probably the best case scenario in terms of like when people ask who is like the face of baseball. I feel for a guy like Christian Yellich though. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame talent. He's played in Miami and Milwaukee. And he, like, I guarantee you, like, the average NBA fan, like, who doesn't pay attention to baseball doesn't know Christian Yelich is. Or maybe, like, can't, like, pinpoint, like, what his career looks like. You know what I'm saying? So, like, the argument that, 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 you, that you make is completely fair. And in terms of the logistics of making, you know, the mics on, I think the bat flips thing, that, you know, that the, it's child, it's, like, it's easy. Like, people make a big deal out of it when it shouldn't be. That That's fixable. I feel like it's with the stuff with the mics and – um you know, marketing as a whole—that's the stuff that can really be worked on. I will, I will give them credit. Like this, this MLB the Show tournament, because like I was watching some highlights. Like you have Joey Gallo hitting a walk off, Amir Garrett hit a walk off, and he's like, he did the thing where it's like you hit it, then you like immediately get up out of your chair. It's like, let's go. He was doing that, so I'm like, right. okay, I feel like I know Amir Garrett and Joey Gallo more. Plus, MLB's YouTube page, like they've started this series. I forgot what it's called, but they had an episode about why why baseball dimensions are what they are and it was like a really dope video so they're making they're making progress i'll give them that it's baby steps baby steps they should have been taken about a decade ago but it's baby steps but even then they're only yeah well like, i feel like would sorry go ahead we're gonna say something josh go for no, it no, go ahead go ahead 
Okay. Yeah, no, and it took a, a quarantine shutting down all society for these things to happen because who's to say if they would have been doing those cool things if the season was going business as usual. Um, so that's a really good point on like innovation. And you said, why don't they have people mic'd up and why don't we have the umpire's chest like camera going and whatever. It's like, I don't know if you guys watched Clemson, Ohio State in the college football playoff like a couple months ago. But, like, Trevor, they had that sick sky cam where it showed the player from overhead and it showed Trevor Lawrence's run. Like, that was so dope. And you have, like, Monday Night Football's mic'd up. You got Russell Wilson in the huddle just talking to his guys on the sideline. Like, you don't get any of that in baseball except, like, at the All-Star game. In the All-Star game, they're just out there messing around a lot of the time. So, yeah, no, they definitely got to do more, like, with the on-field play, changing angles, letting us see a different side of the game because – that's a huge game changer. It's been great for football, and that's something they could for sure employ. I know they'd never do it, but I was watching that that clip that Josh mentioned, the Aaron Boone Savages in the Box, where they isolated the audio between him and the umpire. And they would never – did y'all see that clip of, like, Terry Collins back in the day? Like, when he you was like, give give us a shot. Shot. you got to give us a shot. Like, I would, like they're not going to do that. Like, I don't Terry, know if that's the image – they want to like portray, but that's like good content. Like I want to see that. Like, like, come on. Like you got to push the envelope. Like you can't, like you can't, you can't remain stagnant. You can't do business as usual and then be like, Oh, why is nothing changing? Like, like they've, they've, they've experimented with like the mic, like at the all-star game. And like, that's fun. Like the whole clip of like Anthony Rizzo being like, bang when they're gonna throw me a fastball that is good content that's hilarious or like there was it was like 2018 I think Mookie Betts was mic'd up and someone hit a double he's like I'm not gonna get to this one boys like that's <laughs> like like in terms of like the in-game stuff like with the commentators I like I think that's like a very slippery slope especially in the wake of like the sign stealing thing but if you do it like the NFL where it's like you just record it then you make it into like a tidbit in between the game then you got something right there. And then like, then it's Instagram friendly, like a minute or less or like IGTV. It's like, there we go. No. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest parts about baseball is that you can mic the players up while they're literally in a game. You can't do that for soccer. You can't do that in the NBA. I mean, like I love watching like the Braves and the Cubs mic'd up like Freddie Freeman. Like they're so funny. And I also, to you know, agree with another point that you made, which, by the way, that was a beautiful rant. Beautiful. I loved it so much. Um, but, like, one of the first things that I fell in love with about baseball was I was like, oh, my God, you can wear, like, necklaces and, and chains and jewels. Like, that's so cool. Because, like, I played soccer growing up, and it was like, take all your earrings out, take off your bracelets. You can't wear anything at all. Um, and so, like, to see Javi wearing chains and, like, all of this cool stuff. I mean, like, Ozzy Albies, and they gave, like, a little, like, Ozzy Albies chain out at one of the Braves games last year. And, like, like that's, like, I think what we should be seeing more of. And I remember one time the Cubs were playing the Cardinals, um, and I think it was Marcelo Zuna was wearing, like, this neon compression sleeve. And that's all the commentators talked about. The entire game they're like oh it's so green i wonder why he's wearing that i mean like come on baseball has some of the most like expressive some of the biggest personalities in professional sports like let them shine a little bit you know i, I agree put, with everything you said i want to put y'all on to like some a deep cut the giants used to have a dude named tito fuentes 
Now, like uh-huh. his, his on-field accomplishments aren't what I'm going to highlight. What I'm going to highlight is the fact this man wore a headband over his hat. You know how Instagram friendly that would be? Like, you, you can't tell me if someone, like, came into a game with the stirrups and wearing a headband over their hat that that would not be, like, the most popular thing, like, on MLB's page. And then you know for a fact, if you had, like, Ronald Acuna Jr. or, like, Juan Soto, like, pulling that off, you're going to have, like, an entire generation of kids that's, like, I'm a pull. Like, I, I was reading Mickey Mantle's book, and he had this thing called, like, the, the Mickey Curve, where it's, like, you would, like, curve your hat, like, super hard. Like, it's the exact opposite of, like, a snapback where, like, the brim is, like, super flat. It's, like, you would curve it, like, damn near, like, a 12 to 6, like, like a Kershaw 12 6. And, like, that was a thing. Like, kids, like, if kids see something that's dope, they're going to emulate it. Like, my brother-in-law, when Allen Iverson was at the peak of his powers, he would take, like, Under Armour. Like, he would cut off the sleeves and sew them together and make his own shooter sleeve. Kids are, like, if, like, if you get the accessories in the mix, that's the next generation of fans right there. You got to endorse that. Don't suppress it. Josh has got to leave in like five minutes. So Josh, <laughs> what is, what is your second? You're good. You're good. I was going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and just run through the rest of my takes like oh, no. with minimal explanation. Okay. So oh, no. the second one is like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Ozzy Albee is going to be the, the best second baseman in the national league last year. Okay. You had Cattell Marte who just had like an, an, an incredible year of the Diamondbacks. And then Ozzy Albee's, I think was the second is, is he's going to rise to the ranks this upcoming season. Um, I think he's underappreciated in that Braves lineup with uh, Freddie Freeman and obviously Ronald Acuna. Um, Albies, player to watch out for. Um, his contract, you know, he doesn't care about the money. He just cares about winning. And I think the Braves are going to be a good team this year. Um, my next take, Joey's going to like this one. Um, Uh-oh. My, the NL, NL, NL Cy Young, we got number three, Jacob deGrom. Um, I, think, I think the loss of Noah Syndergaard really limits the Mets as a whole um, in contention. But I think deGrom and Edwin Diaz, Diaz will have a bounce back here and deGrom's going to be dominant. He finishes third. Number two is Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty with the Cardinals. Okay, the NL Central, Justice and I kind of talked about, it's going to be a, really a toss-up between everybody but the Pirates, in, our, in my opinion. So the Cubs, good argument to make there, Emily. Um, the Reds with the, their new signing, um, signings across the board. Um, going to be Yama. a sleeper thing to watch out for. But the Cardinals, with, with this aging lineup that they have, the window is small. All now it's running out, but I think a guy like Jack Flaherty gives them a, a chance to win every time he's on the mound. Um, he's going to be awesome this year. And then my NL Cy Young Award winner is Walker Bueller. I think he's the best pitcher on the best team in the National League. Enough said there. You know, Clayton Kershaw is going to do his thing, but I think Walker Bueller is going to take the next step and win the NL Cy Young this year. This year. Um, and then I don't know if you guys want to, like, jump in now, but my last, my last, last uh, hot take, which I kind of touched on with you guys in, in text, if the season goes less than 81 games, the Oakland A's are going to win the World Series. Led by Marcus Semien, Matt Chapman, and Jesus Lazardo, who's the pitcher you guys like, the pitcher that the world does not know is about to take everybody by storm. 22 year old left hander, uh, freak, like, freak athlete, freak, um, freak fastball with movement. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited for the A's this year. Um, they have an advantage with the shortened season, in my opinion, that they can get off to a hot start. Um, Hitting me with your O's. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing, Josh. The A's are like, in terms of that, the A's are like historically like a second half team. That's exactly. The that's what I'm, they have to start hot. They really do. Um, if the season's more than 81 games, you know, the, 
lot of large numbers. Got to give it to the Dodgers and the Yankees. Uh, I think the A's, though, they have something so special with, with Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Semien, obviously a top three candidate last year. Um, man, I, I'm really excited for, for the A's this season. I, this is what I'm kind of excited for if Major League Baseball does come back and it is like an 81-game season or like a 100-game season. Every game has like a sense of urgency that the current schedule does not have right now. And it really does. Like you can't have like the best of both worlds. Like I would prefer like the season being cut to like 154, like a hundred games. Like I think, it, I don't know. Like I've kind of gone back and forth on it. it. It would be fun because every game would have that weight. But like, I think you're just like mess. Like that, that it wouldn't happen. But I think just for this season, if major league baseball does come back, that would like it would be like every single game is going to have like a sense of urgency that it, they just don't have. And then plus it's like if that it not even just the A's like you can have like the Giants last year they had they like they rattled off like a super hot streak like out of nowhere and that put them into contention. Right, right. It's I mean, like we can see like a lot of these teams. Yeah, I was gonna say Emily, you'll be you'll still be in school in, in undergrad at the time, but let's say like December ends, like you finish your finals. Oh, by the way, the World Series are on like December fifteenth. God, I would fail all of my finals <laughs> if it was like, oh my God, dead week would be nothing but baseball for me. That would be dangerous. GPA killer season. GPA killer season. All right, Josh, I know you got to bounce up out of here. Do you got to, do you have a half-baked idea for us before you hop up? All flames. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> a half-baked idea? I guess the Albies one was sort of my half favorite, but that's like a full send also. Um, a team other than the Astros wins the AL West. It's a little, a little, a little heat. Well, I mean, yeah. it's kind of it's in the same spirit. Dude, they're, gonna, they're, they're dealing with more than just a regular season this year. I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be genuinely impressed even with that team if they like they have a, obviously a fantastic team they had been for the past years asterisk but like I don't know I'd be surprised if you know it's hard like really put it together with all this like going on and um, I'd be surprised if if they were atop the AL West. Yeah, because they the rest of this year, whatever hot takes you guys have. All right, Josh, we'll see you later. All right, take care, y'all. Have a good one. Tell tell, uh, tell, tell Ed Board to tune into this podcast. All right, we'll do, we'll do. <laughs> peace. All right, peace out, Josh. My half-baked idea kind of goes nicely with that, actually. It is with it. Okay. And it's it's pretty half big, but I think that we should suspend the Astros for a season. <laughs> Get they asses out of the here. The whole team. Yes. Yeah, the whole team. <laughs> the whole team with the players. Like. No, like, like just feel like you're done. You don't get to play the season. I think, especially if it's an 81 game season, they don't get to play. You know, like if since this season is already like weird. Anyway, because I was thinking about it, and this is why it's half big. I was like, I mean, obviously it caused problems in terms of like matchups for the regular season, you know, like not having the same amount of games. But if we already don't have the same amount of games, 
you know, or like, what if you just played like, like four game homestands instead of like three, or, you know, I don't know. I just don't think that the punishment has been harsh enough, really. You know, like you take away the first and second draft picks, like, oh, that's stupid as hell. That's so dumb. And then like $5 million fine when you have a luxury tax anyway, that does nothing really. So, I mean, like baseball, unlike other sports, is already pretty easy to cheat in just because, you know, you've got management, you've got a lot of different people, like a lot of individuals that just have such a large weight in terms of the outcome of the game. Like it's easy to throw games. So like the MLB, I think needs to take this time to, like you said, Justice, kind of get back in the good graces of the people, take some action, stand up to the Astros and tell them that cheating won't be tolerated and like actually like show that it won't instead of just being like, you're fine. Because like, you know, anybody can do it. If the Astros get away with it, anybody else can do it. Yeah, I have to ask some thoughts on this, but Joey, I'm going to let you take the floor. Well, Emily, you sound like a Dodgers fan right now. I love it. But (laughs) (laughs) um, it's just like I, in my opinion, I've always felt like MLB has been the league that was like so harsh on like any kind of cheating. Like my man Pete Rose, 4,000 hits, dude. Like no one's ever going to do that again. Like, I mean, maybe not. We'll see. But He's all-time hit leader, and he was only gambling on his team to win games. And they banned him for life. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, they made an example of Pete Rose, and you're not going to see managers bidding on games anymore. And you have, like, the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Like, Shoeless Joe isn't going to be in the Hall of Fame. That World Series got the asterisk. Like, you know, it's like – actually, they threw the series. Never mind. But you get what I'm saying. Like, they're always going to come down hard on these types of things. And it was just so whack to see them be so lenient and go so easy on the Astros because that's just so uncharacteristic of everything they've done to this point. And, yeah, it's it's incredibly disappointing. But, Emily, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And my biggest fantasy, I told you guys about that possibility of canceling the All-Star break and playing a 100-game season with all seven games at Dodger Stadium. If that happened, I would love nothing more than for us to play the Astros all seven games at Dodger Stadium and just beat their ass, dude. Like, oh, my gosh. Do you know how amazing? Like, that would rectify all the wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Almost all of them. I would go to a game, and I would heckle the shit out of them. That would be awesome. Emily, I know you have, like, a Pete Rose story, but I want to jump in with two points uh, regarding your take. So I think the – in terms of, like, the punishment not being harsh enough, I think that Major League Baseball definitely put themselves in a corner because it's it was such like a it's such a tough decision to make. Like I want to empathize a little bit because you want to get the truth, which means if you wanted to get the truth, you had to give the players immunity. I don't know if you could have. I I think you could have gotten truth without granting immunity, which still gives you the opportunity to like punish them individually. It's like so it's it's a tricky situation. I will say that. But my biggest thing is if we just go through the punishment, you lose some picks, $5 million fine, the manager and the general manager are gone. That's your precedent now. You've set the precedent for what happens if you cheat. They still keep the championship. I don't know. Like, I've gone back and forth as to whether or not it should be vacated. Like, I see both arguments as to why or why not it should. Like, why it has – like, because – like it's it's an unprecedented thing in Major League Baseball to vacate a championship. Like we've seen it in college basketball, but 
as we know, the NCAA exists in their own little world. So, and you're not going to take away the memories of that either. So it's like, that's like an issue in and of itself, but by not suspending the players, by granting them immunity so that they can't be suspended, you have set the precedent. So what happens if let, let's just say, let's just say the 2019 nationals cheated. I'm not saying that they did, but let's just say for the sake of the conversation that they did and major league baseball finds this out and they say, we're going to suspend Juan Soto, like Anthony Rendon, they're suspended. They're going to get sued. Major League Baseball is going to get sued if that happens because they're going to be like, you did not do – no, you messed up. They're going to be sued by the Angels and the Nationals because they're both losing players. So that's like a slippery slope, and it's – they've very much boxed themselves. They, they put themselves in the corner because of this. And at this point, you just got to hope that no one else cheats because if someone else has like a similar cheating scandal – it's going to be even messier because then, because I would say the quote unquote luxury of this being the first time is that there's no precedent to go back on. So every decision you make is going to be new. No one can really like people can disagree with them, but then it's like, okay, we don't really have anything to go off. If it happens again, they're going to be like, Oh, you did this to them. Why are you not doing it to them? So it's a tricky situation. That's my thing on them. But yeah, I I personally think that, I think that Major League Baseball shouldn't have initially granted them immunity, taken a step back, tried to get everything that they could have so that you've left that door open. It does. It is tricky because, like, not everyone's there. Like, Carlos Beltran was going to be a manager, and he got fired. But, like, Brian McCann was retired. So it is hard. But, yeah, I think the punishment should have been a little harsher. I don't know what a little harsher is. But that's my piece on that. Mr. Patton. Hot take. How we how we feeling? Hot take number two. Should I bring my hottest take, or should I go a little more mild? I'm down with either. I will save my hottest take for last. I have like a silly take, I guess. I think I dig the way it's structured with the DH, and that in one league they have it, and the other league they don't. And I feel like us three and Josh, all being National League fans, we could all say we're not crazy about the DH. And then you talk to like an AL team fan and they're all about it all gung-ho saying the NL needs to get on board and it's like such a divisive issue and it usually comes down to what team you root for and where they play um but I think like the way the current split that they have right now it's kind of like you get the best of both worlds because teams who don't want it they don't have to have it and the teams who do want it they get to see it and the fans get to see both aspects of it and it's like a really simple fix when they play each other okay if the AL's home do it if the NL's home not like I really don't see a problem with it and I feel like people it bugs them that it's different in each league but I I, I disagree I think it's kind of cool I definitely agree with that I, I do like the aspect of it where it's like you have like a little bit of both and just as someone who's watched more National League games in my lifetime than American League games I will say that there is a strategic element that gets lost when you institute the DH because as we saw in last episode with the in game six of the NLCS, Bochi introduced a double switch in the eighth inning that got Brian Wilson in the game, but then put Nate Sherholtz in right. And because of that, Brian Wilson had to hit fifth, which resulted in him with the bases loaded. And so like, that's like, and then we saw like, like Bochi, like he had Sandoval in the on deck circle and it was kind of like playing manuals bluff, or I don't know if that's like the right way to phrase it, 
but they, it was like a bluff. So I was like, you got like a little, you got like 5D chess going on. You got a little, you know, you got a little mahjong going on. It's fun. And I think with the American League, it's kind of like that gets lost in translation a little bit. No, I agree too. I think it's fun. Like the little fun wild card. It's, you know, like I've also kind of like only ever watched it with it, but I love it. I think it's like Justice said too. I think it's a great opportunity for strategy. Um, so yeah, agreed. I enjoy the hot take. And then we are seeing like a bunch of two-way dudes too. So that just like adds, like that just adds to the equation. Like I saw highlights of Michael Lorenzen on the Reds. Like he hit, like dude hits a homer, strikes someone out and like makes a diving play and right all in the same highlight packet. So I like, I'm not saying like every single pitcher has the capabilities of like Michael Lorenzen, but like when a pitcher gets a hit, it's always a little fun occasion. Like when Bumgarner goes deeper, when Jake Arrieta goes deep in a playoff game, like that's like, that'll, that's always something that's going to catch someone's attention. Okay. This funnels perfectly into my next take, but if anyone else has anything to say, definitely. Okay. So this is kind of where I think for me, it went from like hot takes that are reasonable to like, absurd like i was oh, bring like bring them on bring <laughs> them on and it's kind of also like i'm definitely just gonna lose whatever clout that i had <laughs> from my first hot take but i kind of bring just it on lose. and you have to hear me out too i think <laughs> that anthony rizzo should play pitcher <laughs> this is what i think <laughs> okay <laughs> so based on how much justice is laughing right now i think that you're familiar with the context of this so the Cubs um, versus the Diamondback, Diamondbacks game, um, it was in, like, I think it was June. It was in 2018, so, like, middle of the season. Uh, the Cubs just, like, were – I think it was, like, 7-1. Like, they were losing. It was embarrassing. They'd already burned through their bullpen like they always do. Um, so Rizzo had apparently been, like, nagging Madden to put him in as pitcher for a while, and he finally was just, like – screw it go so Victor Caratini was pitching at the time they like traded gloves it was like a cute funny thing everyone was like that's adorable like <laughs> it was hilarious in the moment um I mean he didn't you know he threw like a 54 mile per hour generously termed breaking ball and so you know it was like kind of all just for shits and gigs uh but he did get AJ Pollock to fly out you know, it was like, not, you know, yeah. but I was up late at night thinking about these hot takes. I don't think there's anything hotter than this one. Because not only was it hilarious, but like, uh, apparently Rizzo pitched like 90 miles per hour in like high school. Like if he has the capacity and if you have a bullpen that sucks that bad, like the Cubs, you know, like why not? Why not try it out? You know, and like also to have a pitcher that you don't have to pinch hit for, that would be fun. I feel like the, like, I feel but, like the the extension of this take is that no pinch hitters, no relievers, the nine people, on, the nine <laughs> players on the field is what you have, and you got to deal with it. <laughs> I'm down for that. Let's do it. Fundamental restructuring. Let's get weird. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I just think it'd be like, but also it kind of does tie back into my first take. Because, like, okay, theoretically, say you trade Bryant 
Like, <laughs> hold on. So, I don't know. Like, I'm just envisioning something in my fantasy world where Rizzo is, has a disgusting curveball or something. Like, maybe you trade Bryant to the Angels and you get Pujols at first, you know? And, like, you can switch them out or something. I mean, like, the Angels have, a like, an okay third baseman, David Fletcher, like, you know. That's Rendon now. Is it really? Yeah, they signed him in this offseason. I love. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I how. That. Can I like side note? I love how David Fletcher's a meme. <laughs> are, y- are y'all aware of like David Fletcher the meme? I don't think I am. I'm not. So like, I'm personally, I'm a big fan of like David Fletcher because I'm super high on like multi-position guys who can like fill a lot of holes for you, who are like slick with the glove, who like basically like the most versatile players. Like those are always my favorites, just because. I think that's the epitome of like what a ball player is. Not someone that like just is stagnant at one, but like can kind of do it all kind of in the same air as like a Ben Zobras. Like those are always my favorite types of dudes. Like the Giants had to do it here at Andreadza. Like he kind of did it all, but David Fletcher is a meme. <laughs> he's just like, he's so like, you know how like every team has like their guy. That's like, like that's the cult hero. That is David Fletcher, and I think there's like a there's a David Fletcher Instagram page, and they just call him the Fletch. Oh it's amazing. Oh my God. Well, I don't know. Okay, so maybe the Angels trade. Maybe they don't want to let go of their prize, David Fletcher. For instance, the meme. meme. Like maybe you like go back, like I don't know, like to the Braves. Like maybe you take Freddie Freeman at first or something crazy, or maybe you go for a pitcher again. The possibilities are endless. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. <laughs> if I ever saw Rizzo actually pitching, I think I'd roll over dead. Please don't do this ever. I that Major League Baseball actually changed in the rules where, like, they have this, like, whole thing with, like, two-way designation where it's, like, if you're a two-way player, you have to pitch 20 innings and start 20 games as, like, a fielder to get that qualification, which is – why Otani is the only player who has the two-way designation. And if you want to have a position player pitch, they have to be down by like seven runs or something, which I think that's kind of like, I think both of those things can be altered. I think the two-way designation needs to be changed. And I think position players should just be like, fuck it, whatever, do whatever. You're a manager, do whatever you want. But I don't know, like all, like the, like we can't stretch pitchers' arms out because, like, we can't have them throwing 200 innings. We can't have them doing that. Like, we can't. Like, we got to ease into it once the season comes back because that's that's how arms get injured. So maybe you got to take some liberties with who you throw out on the mound. <laughs> I know. I know this is fully unreasonable. I thought it would be give some good laughs. So did you guys know when Zach Greinke got? What was that? When uh. When Zach Granke got called up, he got called up as a pitcher, obviously, and he asked his manager, he's like, oh, well, do you think they'd let me go up as a shortstop? And he was like, uh, no, dude, you've been pitching this whole time. What are you talking about? He's like, you know, like, I'll go back to single A if I can. I just want to be a shortstop. Is that okay? So he- yeah, that's, the, that's the thing about Granke is that I think Granke, like, like I've, th- I've been thinking a lot about guys who, like, came up, like, whether they were before their time, ahead of their time. I think those are the same thing. But I think Granky's like a dude where if he debuted in 2020, his value would go up because I think some team would let him be like, all right, play the outfield in the same way Lorenzen did. Or like they would give him more liberty as a pinch hitter because 
There's a world like I truly believe there is a world where Zach Granke, if he came up as an infielder, would be a Hall of Fame level position player. And like I think he's our like we get like Madison Mumgarner, Lorenzen, technically Otani, but I think Zach Granke's up there with like the best hitting pitchers in the league. He can swing that thing. Mm-hmm. But speaking of pitchers, the this is kind of the I think this is a really hot take. I really want to hear what y'all have to say. It's not going to be on the same level as that other rant. But we talked so as we mentioned in the last podcast, the umpire gave a very Bernie Sanders AOC level strike zone, very liberal strike zone. <laughs> so, and we were talking about robot umps and like eventually when the robot umps come. And me, you know, with with the way that fielding statistics have evolved, and we have ways to numerically calculate the like the how how catchers frame. I think that you know I've been thinking that if you know if we have robot umps, that's going to be lost in the shuffle. We're going to lose the ability to frame. It's just you're going to catch the ball, and that's kind of going to be it. So my hot take. No robot umps. I don't want robot umps. I want the human error in the game. I wasn't, I didn't go so far as to say like, let's ban replay, but here's, here's what I'll say with the replay. Forget New York, forget New Jersey or wherever they do it. You have, you give it to the umps on the field. If you're an, if you're a manager and you want to challenge, you have 15 seconds from the time the play is dead. You don't get to go down to the monitors downstairs. You have 15 seconds to decide. And the umpires, they have a minute. If they can't tell within a minute or two minutes that the play is overturned, that's it. So those are it's so my take is mainly no robot umps. I don't want robot umps. I I want the human error because I think it leads to some some wackiness, but it also preserves the idea of framing. I think framing is a beautiful thing, not for murder, but catching. <laughs> but yeah, that is that is my take. I don't want robot umps. And replay, like let's let, let's speed it up. The game is long enough already. Let's let's speed it up. I'm gonna agree with you on the replay. It's ridiculous when you see a guy steal a base and it's like, oh, are they gonna challenge? You're not. You're waiting just to see if they will challenge, and they do. And you're looking at the replay, and it's like, all right, dude. And like, you're right to the point where if you can't just tell right off the bat, then the call's just gotta stand. Like, it has to be so clear and convincing, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. So yeah, this replay needs to be sped up dramatically. But, my friend, I will wholeheartedly disagree with you. I'm so ready for robo-umps, dude. I, I want like catching. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just feel like, yeah, catching is an art, and framing is, like, such a cool thing, and it's a great part of the game. But I feel like what we would lose in that is worth what we would gain and just having accurate calls all the time and, like, not have to worry about any kind of, like, angle like an ump would have or, like, maybe he gets into a fight with, Justin Turner and then he rings him up on a ball that's off the plate like I don't know man I'm so sick of seeing blown called plate like that I would I'm ready for robots now <laughs> Emily how we feeling are you down I, with the robots I mean generally no I am not happy in this modern world but <laughs> this will be my uh third steady anti-boomer take I, I think that, I mean, like you said, it is human error. And I mean, like, you know, it's like, we saw it 
in the Giants game that we recap, like how much weight every single call has. So I think like by making it more equitable just across the board with robot arms, you know, like why not do it? And while we're at it, let's make every ballpark the same goddamn size. No, 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 no. I'm going to boot you from this Zoom chat. This is blasphemy. Absolutely not. Okay, I was obviously, oh my God. I will not go down in this podcast as having the hottest take of the day. No. Oh no, I'm just like so like, I I will die on this hill. No, I'm fine with, I, I, you know, I'm actually fine with the ballparks being different dimensions. I'm actually a proponent of that. But robot umps, now, thank you. Robot umps, twenty twenty. Yeah, I'm definitely. I definitely assume that both of y'all, and I, I feel like Josh would have disagreed with it too. But like as as I mentioned, I do love the framing aspect of it. I think it's a it's a beautiful thing, and it kind of like it's it's at that point if you want to get like super existential, it's like what is a catcher? Like if you take away the framing, it's like you just took away like it's his main responsibility it would just be like he catches and then he throws it back and then it would come down to just blocking and then I mean like there there still are a lot of aspects to a catcher but that's like you're taking away like one of the core tenets of like what it means to be a catcher if we're gonna if (laughs) you're gonna have a catcher's having an existential crisis that's what I'm saying but I also think like baseball is like a it is a super cerebral game and it's like the the idea of like working the umps or like getting on an umps good side. Like those are things that's like as a as a fan I can imagine like if you get like a blown call, it's like, man, that's some BS. But I think it's like you're always playing like five D chess and it's like it's like if I if you're a catcher and like you don't argue with the call if you're like good call ump and you just like you kinda work them a little bit. I think there is an art to that. And I think like there is something that will get lost if we just institute the robots. This isn't to say that there have not been some absolutely positively egregious calls. <laughs> I, I see on like the MLB game, like the game day where like there's a ball like right down. The, or it's like there'll be a lot of times when like a catcher will like jump up because it's a curveball, not expecting it, and then go back down and it's right down the middle. But because the catcher moved, it's called a ball. But then that's, I think that's also like part of it. It's like, like as a catcher, your job, it's like, you're a salesman. You got to sell me this pitch if you're an umpire. So that's, that. I'm like, I used to kind of be on the fence of robot arms. I think we're eventually going to get it. So I think now I'm at a point of like resignation. It's just, I'm going to appreciate it while it's still here. But that's my take and I'm sticking to it. I'm not as passionate about it as, as the first one, just because that first one that will always have a special place in my heart until MLB like gets their ish together. But Joey, I think you had a a stronger take, a cayenne, a cayenne pepper, red chili flake, tapatio, crystal. Ah, what's the other one? Cholula level take. How? What are we feeling? All right. I hope I'm not overselling this take. <laughs> No, you know, it's it's a bold claim, I would say. Um, this man right here, it's Clayton Kershaw. Say hello. <laughs> um, Clayton. Okay, Clayton Kershaw, as you guys know, is one of the greatest regular season pitchers in the history of baseball. He's won three Cy Young Awards. He has, let's see, he had a 300 strikeout season. He won an MVP. I mean, the accolades are all there. He has a no-no. He has it all. 
But you flip it into the postseason, it's like night and day. He's like unrecognizable in terms of like in regard to his regular season standards. And you can go to every meltdown from the 2013 NLCS against the Cardinals. Perennial choker. Like, yeah. I think that despite all of that and every game Kershaw has blown and every bad moment and every meme, everything, I think his legacy can be totally salvaged and people won't remember that if he can win a World Series. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And well, like going back to our our previous take about the Astros, it's like the game, like I think it was game five. I think it was game five. It was one of those games where like he didn't register a single swing and miss. And he was like amazing in that postseason and amazing in that series leading up to that. And then everything kind of just like hits the proverbial fan. But yeah, that's the, it's kind of a similar thing with Barry Bonds, like leading up to 2002, I'll I'll pull up the stats to just illustrate the point. But leading up to 2002, Barry Bonds, like his biggest legacy was that he was one of the greatest regular season baseball players of all time. But when he got to the postseason, he just couldn't do it. Like in Pittsburgh, that was his biggest thing. And in his first couple runs with the Giants, he wasn't really all that playing all that well. But then in 2002, particularly in the World Series, this man just goes dumb. So to I'm going to throw y'all some of these numbers in 2002. So 17 games, this man hit 356 with a 581 on-base percentage, 978 slugging, and a WRC plus of 259, eight homers. I forgot how many he had in the World Series, but he had that one off Troy Percival. That was when Tim Salmon was like, that is the longest, that's the farthest ball I've ever seen. Like this man lit it up and that's, And because of that, that doesn't erase everything that happened prior to 2002, but everybody remembers that he was finally able to get it done at the highest stage. And I think you'll see that with like a lot of players, like in professional sports, like when LeBron won in 2016, like he really was like, yeah, he had his championships in Miami, but 2016, that was like, he was like, that was like a lot of people believe him to be the goat because of that. I personally do not like side note. You can't call yourself the GOAT. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that Curry and Clay and Draymond are overrated, but then come back from a 3-1 deficit and say that makes you the GOAT. That's a contradiction. Also, if you were the GOAT, why were you down 3-1 in the first place? Hmm? Ask yourself these questions. But, yeah, I agree. Like, if Clayton Kershaw has a World Series where, like, if he throws, like, if he has, like, an eight-inning, like, shutout in, like, a World Series game that clinches it for them, I think everybody's going to like not forget everything, but we do have a tendency to remember like the highs of players careers opposed to the, like the drastic lows and, you know, little revisionist history too. Let's not forget that. But I definitely agree. If Clayton Kershaw has an amazing postseason run at some point from now until the end of his career, I think the narrative of his career will definitely be flipped because I mean, sometimes all you just need is that one chip. Like that, like look at Dirk in 2011. Like his his thing too was like he could never get it done. He had it in 06, right? He had the chance in 06 that he just couldn't get it done. But then wins it in 11, his legacy is completely different. And I think it would be the same with Kershaw. I mean, like I know I personally, as a Cubs fan, will never forget 2016. But I also wouldn't be like, like I would be happy, you know, if the Dodgers finally. Uh, oh my god I just almost said I would be happy if the Dodgers won a World Series 
whoa, <laughs> whoa. What I meant, you know, like I, as a Cubs fan, as just generally a, a proponent of the underdog story, you know, like I love and respect when people can like, I mean, it's also human nature to like have some bad games, to be nervous, to, you know, feel the pressure of the World Series like on your shoulders. Well, you know, I don't blame him for choking. And I think, I think you're right. Like a World Series title would do, would do a lot of good (laughs) for his reputation, Mm -hmm. for the Dodgers reputation, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we look at like Justin Verlander and like nobody holds him in that same regard of choke status as Kershaw, despite the fact that he's 0-6 career in the World Series and has a five plus ERA in the World Series. And it's like, Justice, every time we talk baseball, we always talk about how the Giants were like never the best team in the playoffs those years they won the World Series. But like they like, okay, the Giants weren't this great team, but you look at game one in Detroit, they just jumped all over Verlander and it's crazy. Like he does these things that Kershaw does. And I feel like Kershaw doesn't like Verlander doesn't get the same treatment because he has the ring. And like, even if it was by illegitimate means, like I feel like that just remedies it all, you know? So I really do think that could just totally salvage everything. To go off of that, I mean, like, and this is going back to the half-baked idea just for a really quick moment. Like, obviously, a World Series title has so much weight, you know. It can flip the script entirely, and it has, you know, every season. And, like, why not take it away from the people that cheated to get it? Take the title away Mm. from the Astros. Thank you. That's it. It's funny because ESPN actually just put out an article today that was basically – the idea was basically – as baseball like awaits its return, Clayton Kershaw's like shot of redemption is on hold. So it was a little, a little beautiful timing there. So we're about at the the hour-ish mark. I say let's let's hit us with our if the last takes if we have any, some half-baked ideas if we have any, and then we'll bounce up on out of here. Does anybody have any half-baked ideas? I have shared mine already. I'm done. I kind of have some, but they're more like, I, they're more in like the idea of what baseball can do to like improve. They're not as like much half baked. I think that could be like a different podcast. What about you, Joey? Um, I sometimes like to think that like, I don't, I've never really bought the argument that like guys like Babe Ruth or Luke, like Ted Williams or any of those dudes couldn't hang in today's game. I just feel like, back then you were just solely relying on your natural talent. Like there was no weightlifting. They didn't have these strict diets. They weren't like grinding like these guys do now. And I feel like that's even more impressive that just off of natural talent, they were able to do what they did. So I think like, I'm not saying if you put Babe Ruth in today's game, he'd be like the same electric player he was. But I think if you gave him the modern day regimen, I really do think he could probably hold his own in today's game. Yeah, that's the big thing is like they were – like, people didn't know, like, this is how you sustain as a baseball player. Like, you go back to, like, Edgar Martinez, like, before he was a Mariner, like, one of the greatest designated hitters of all time, he was working at, like, I forgot, it was, like, some odd job. And it's, like, you hear all these stories about, like, players will, they won't play or, like, they'll be working, like, at a factory. And then it's, like, all right, let me let me become one of the greatest of all time. So it's like if you put them through like the same like AAU travel ball circuit that a lot of these guys are, I, I would imagine like they like they would have the capacity. 
Like I, I would want to see Ruth against a player of color that could throw a breaking ball. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree. I think when we get into like these conversations about greatest of all time, I think it's always relative to the era you played in. It's not just about like whether your game could translate. I think that's a big part of it. Just because like Michael Jordan kind of mentioned it, I think after he won the 93 title where someone asked him if like about that conversation and he said, everybody plays in different eras with different styles. So it's like if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was playing in 2020, he might have a three. His skyhook might be a three. You never know. <laughs> I doubt that. But like he might be playing differently based on like the time that he was born in. And that's like that's a it's a beautiful thing about sports in terms of debates. It's like you can try to see like what would this dude do if he was like how would Barry Bonds play if he was in like the the 50s? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe once his knee went down in 05 like he's kind of done, but yeah. And on that note, I think like one thing is kind of another little idea I've had the topic like Maybe strike art, strikeouts aren't that big of a deal because, like, people always make fun of, like, Aaron Judge because he's striking out 200 times a year. But he's also hitting 54 dingers, and he's also driving in 100-plus RBI. Like, I will happily take a dude that's striking out 200 times a year that's going to bring me that kind of prolific offensive production, you know? And, like, people always thought, oh, well, Tony Gwynn only struck out 15 times a year. And it's like, that's awesome. That's great. But, like, pitching is so far ahead now. Like, strikeouts are just becoming more and more inevitable. And even greats like Mike Trout strike out frequently. So maybe like strikeouts are becoming a little bit of an outdated metric to like devalue a hitter. Yeah, I definitely find myself like looking at, like, as we mentioned with Baez, like I look at strikeout rate just because like, and I don't think it automatically makes you a bad hitter. But when I see one in like the, like the high twenties, I'm just like, okay. But for me, I think more than anything, it's more of like an aesthetic thing because like whether it's a strikeout or like a ground out, it's like it's still an out at the end of the day so like I don't disagree with that portion of it it's just as much as I'm not a fan of or not not necessarily a fan as much as I don't see like the tremendous value in like in like batting average like I think dudes like a Wade Boggs or like a Tony Gwynn or like an Ichiro like guys that don't strike out a lot and know how to like know how like the art of like hitting and like knowing how to protect with two strikes, like that's very much an aesthetic thing for me personally. That definitely is lost in translation. But I think it's not mutually exclusive. It's like you can't like a dude like Joey Gallo, like he strikes out a ton, but he also hits dingers. So it's like you kind of just it's it's give and take. And that's just kind of the modern game too. It's like dudes are throwing like we don't have like a bunch of Jamie Moyers anymore. We got dudes pumping ninety five on the reg. Just like, a bunch of Anthony Rizzo's on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> frozen ropes like what's the name on the dude I think it was the dude on the Tigers I think it was Joel Zumaya who was like hitting triple digits in like the early 2000s and it's like that was super rare but now it's like you have like everybody like regularly like hitting high 90s so it is a different game and plus like the fact like you know it's physically it's supposed to be impossible to hit a fastball like like if you go by like a the physics of it all you have like not even like what like 400 milliseconds to like hit a fastball something ridiculous but do we have any any final takes any anything we'd like to dish out <laughs> before we jump about here i just want to go back i want to like save my ass really quick i don't think <laughs> well 
okay yeah no i i think that i'm still like semi on the fence about the robo dumps <laughs> but i would like to clarify definitely i like the different size ballparks that's all size doesn't matter <laughs> Just kidding. oh actually one more take that i want to get off um oh, no. before we get out of here i don't think that every team should have a mandatory all-star this is this is yeah this is going to sound anti-millennial but i don't think we should be giving away these participation trophies if you weren't good you shouldn't be on the team if you have a four era and I know ERA isn't the best metric to measure pitches, but if you have a four ERA, like 450, I don't think you should be on the team. I think someone more deserving should be. This is exactly everything that's wrong with the country. This is every, it's the epitome of what I'm sounding like a boomer, <laughs> but it's like, I've, I never agree with that. Like, what is this like compens- compensatory? I don't think that's how you say it. Like, why are we compensating you for not being on the same level as these dudes? Like, like yeah. Come on. Like, and that's how we get all-star snubs. And I know that like, like the amount of all-star awards you rack up ultimately shouldn't be whether or not you get into the hall of fame, but there are a lot of voters who look at that. And if you're like, if you get snubbed a couple of years and that's the difference between like nine and five, then some voter might flip like on whether or not you should be an all-star because of that. That's all I'm saying. No participation trophies. Earn it. What was um, now there was like some like team who was like motto was like earn it or something. Stay true to the motto. Cal football. That's Cal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. You gotta earn it. I don't want no participation trophies around here. Chilberas. Um, right. You said you have Pete Rose story. Okay, yeah. So, uh, your your Pete Rose story reminded me of. So my mom, she was a flight attendant for Delta, and one of her flight attendant friends who is still flying she has since um retired or my mom has but one of her other friends uh was on a flight with pete rose recently and he was in first class and so she was like up there working the galley and stuff and serving him and um she obviously she knew who he was but one time she was giving him like coffee or something and and he was like so how does it feel to be one of the others and she's like what like, what are you talking about? He's like, how does it feel to be, you know, like, part of the headline, if this plane were to crash, Pete Rose and others die in plane crash. <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, I wouldn't bet that that's going to happen. Zinger. <laughs> Got him. And he started, he said, uh, um, or she said that he laughed his ass off and that they were, like, friends after that. So, flight attendant <laughs> I think that's a good I think that's a good little story to take us out. <laughs> Season number one, episode ten. Justice Del Santos, Emily Oman, Joey Patton, Josh you in for like ten minutes because he went big time on us. Rory O'Toole not here currently, but here in spirit. Always. Until next time, y'all. Peace.